This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to episode 4 of Shadows of the Door, the podcast. My name is Mark Nixon, and if this is your first time joining us, each episode David Alt and I feature a ghost story and then discuss the ideas and themes. Well, among many tangents. Today, we have something truly special for you. We again feature not only a classic tale, but arguably one of the greatest ghost stories of all time, if not the greatest. No doubt you'll be familiar with the writer, Mr. Charles Dickens, a man who loved ghosts and the supernatural as much as he loved social commentary. Yes, today we proudly present The Signalman. The story was originally published in 1866 and has enjoyed countless reprints since then. Whether you're familiar with this chilling tale already, or this is your first time, we hope you enjoy the story of hauntings and tragedies. So, gather around the fire, pour yourself some tea, and we'll begin. path by which I can come down and speak with you. I say, is there any path? Uh, 
Ah, down there. Uh, all right. Steady now. Yes, and uh, uh, uh. Yeah. there we are. I say, this is a rather lonesome post to occupy, is it not? Your signal box caught my attention when I looked down from up yonder. A visitor is a rarity, I should suppose, but not an unwelcome one, I hope. I so rarely get out of the city myself. I found myself with a newly awakened interest in everything out here. And the trains are marvellous to see, at least for a man who has lived as narrow a life as I. For you, they must be almost mundane. Oh, frightfully sorry, but is there something wrong with that red light by the tunnel mouth? You, you've hardly averted your eyes from it. it. It's part of your charge, is it not? Don't you know it is? <laughs> you look at me as if you had a dread of me. I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Where? There. Uh, by the red light? Yes. <laughs> My good fellow, what should I do there? However, be that as it may, I never was there. You may swear by it. I think I may. Yes, I'm sure I may. Splendid. The cold coming from the tunnel causes quite the chill, does it not? That it does, sir. It is a damp little spot. But my box is quite comfortable. Oh, yes. And have you much to do? Yes. That is to say, I have enough responsibility to bear. Exactness and watchfulness are required the most. Although there is a little manual work. I must change the signals, trim the lights, and turn the iron handles. But the hours can be long and lonely. As such, I read a great deal. I should be glad of a forced enclosure in which to read. On duty, do you always stay down here, or are you at times able to escape the shadows of the bridge? In fairer weather, I have, but I'm at all times liable to be called by the electric bell, and I find the anxiety stops me from venturing far. Perhaps, sir, you would care to join me in my box and warm yourself? I would be most grateful. the task for now. Where were we last, sir? Please, you must stop calling me sir. We are but two gentlemen. I would not refer to myself in that way. Well, perhaps you would allow the title of scholar? I hope I might say without offence that you have been well educated and perhaps above your station. That is not unusual among large bodies of men. I have heard it so in workhouses and in the police force, even the army. When young, I was a student of natural philosophy. I missed my opportunities, went down and never rose again. I have no complaint to offer. I've made my bed and I lie upon it. Far too late to make another. Please understand, sir, that I claim to be nothing but what you find me. Wait. Thank you.
Are you quite all right? What is it you see, man? There is no train. That's twice this evening you've interrupted yourself like that for seeming no reason. You do not hear it. Hear what? Your senses tell you nothing. My dear friend, there is nothing to sense. You are shaking. <sighs> yes, sir. I suppose I am all right. Yes, well, otherwise you almost make me think I've met with a contended man. I believe I used to be so. But I am troubled, sir. I am troubled. With what, exactly? It is very difficult to impart, sir. Very difficult to speak of. If ever you make me another visit, I will try to tell you. I expressly intend to make you another visit. When shall it be? I shall be on again at 10 tomorrow night, sir. Then I will come at 11. I'll show my white light, sir, till you have found the way up. When you have found it, don't call out. And when you are at the top, don't call out. Very well. And when you come down tomorrow night, don't call out. Let me ask you a parting question. What made you cry, hello, below there tonight? Heaven knows, I, I cried something to that effect. Not to that effect, sir. Those were the very words. I know them well. I suppose they were the words. I said them, no doubt, because I saw you below for no other reason. <laughs> what other reason could I possibly have? You had no feeling that they were conveyed to you in a supernatural way. No. And I bid you good night. Follow my light and make your way safely. Call out. May I speak now? By all means, sir. Then here is my hand. It's good to see you again. And here is mine, to you as well. Come, inside by the fire. I've made up my mind. You shall not have to ask me of my troubles again. In truth, I took you for someone else yesterday evening. The person who troubles me. Does he look like me? I don't know. I never saw the face. The left arm is always across the face. The right arm is waved violently so. Uh, like this. And it shouts, uh, it shouts. For God's sake, clear the way! Huh. One moonlit night I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Hello, below there. I started up, I looked from the door and saw someone standing by the red light near the tunnel, waving just how I have shown you. The voice seemed hoarse with shouting and it cried, Look out, look out, hello, below there, look out. So I took my lamp, turned it on red and ran towards the figure, calling, What's wrong? What's happened? Where? but it just stood outside the blackness of the tunnel. I was so close, but the sleeve was across its eyes. 
I, I stretched out my hand to pull the sleeve away and, and then it was gone. Into the tunnel? No. I ran on into the tunnel some 500 yards and saw nothing in the distance but the, the wet stains on the walls of the arch. I ran out faster than I'd run in, for I now had a mortal abhorrence of the place. And I looked all around the red light with my own red light. And I looked above the arch and below and ran back here. I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? The answer came back both ways. All well. My good man, it, it must have been a trick of the eye. And as for the crying... Do but listen to the wind in this unnatural valley while we speak so low and to the wild harp it makes of the telegram wires. That is all very well, but I have worked here for so long that I am very familiar with the noises of the place. But what's more, within six hours after the appearance, uh, an accident happened on this line. Within ten hours, the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel right over the spot where the figure had stood. My word, uh, but surely this is but coincidence. No, sir, it is not. That was just a year ago. Six or seven months passed and I had recovered from the surprise and the shock. When one morning as the day was breaking, I was standing by the door and looked towards the red light and saw the spectre again. Did it cry out? No, it was silent. Did it wave its arm? No, it leaned against the shaft of the light with both hands before the face like it was in mourning. Did you go up to it? I came in and sat down, partly to collect my thoughts, partly because it had made me faint. When I returned to the door, daylight had broken and the ghost was gone. But nothing followed? Nothing came of this? That very day, as a train came out of the tunnel, I noticed at a carriage window a confusion of what looked like hands and heads and, and something waved. I saw it just in time to signal the driver, stop put his brake on and the train eventually came to a stop further down the line. I ran after it and as I did I heard terrible screams and cries. A, a beautiful young lady had died instantaneously in one of the compartments. She was brought in here and laid on this very floor. I... I do not know what to say. Now sir, mark this and judge how my mind is troubled. The spectre came back a week ago ever since it has been there now and again. At the light? The red light, yes. And what does it do? It covers its eyes with its sleeve again and waves the other arm. It shouts, for God's sake, clear the way. I have no peace or rest of it. It calls to me for many minutes together in an agonized manner. Below there, look out, look out. It, somehow rings my little bell and... Ah, did it ring the bell yesterday evening when I was here? When you were distracted? Twice. Why, see how your imagination misleads you. My eyes were on the bell and my ears were open. I am a living man and I tell you that bell did not ring at all. 
Except, of course, when it was rung in the natural course of the other stations communicating with you. I've never made a mistake as to that yet, sir. I have never confused the spectre's ring with that of a man's. The ghost's ring is a strange vibration in the bell that derives from nothing else. I've not asserted that the bell stirs to the eyes, and I wonder why you failed to hear it, but I heard it. And did the spectre seem to be there when you looked out? It was there. Both times? Both times. Will you come to the door with me and look for it now? Oh, come now. Look, there is the red danger light. There is the dismal mouth of the tunnel. There are the trees and above us the stars. Now, do you see it? No, it is not there. Agreed. I know you do not fully understand, sir, but what troubles me so dreadfully is the question, what does the spectre mean? I'm sorry? What is its warning? Where is the danger? What is the danger? It is not to be doubted a third time after what has gone before. But surely this is a cruel haunting. Well, what can I do? Oh. If I telegraph danger on either side of me or both, I can give no reason for it. I should get into trouble. They would think I was mad. Message, danger, take care. Answer, what danger, where? Message, don't know, but for God's sake, take care. What else could they do? When it first stood under the light, why not tell me where the accident was to happen? Why not tell me how it could be averted? When on its second coming, when it mourned, why not tell me instead, she is going to die, let them keep her at home? If it came on those two occasions only to show me the warnings were true and to prepare me for a third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, Lord help me, a mere poor signalman on this solitary station. Why not go to somebody with credit to be believed and power to act? And <laughs> Whatever the reason, the duty has fallen to you. Whether I am sure of my own understanding of these confounded circumstances or not, it is good that you understand the duty before you. Look, the time is rather late. Shall I stay through the night? <laughs> no. Forgive me, sir. I, I will not hear of it. Are you quite sure? I do not like that red light, and I shall keep my eyes firmly on it as I ascend up the bank. I myself would not rest easy by it. I see no reason to conceal my dread, and I do not wish that solitary unease upon you. I insist, sir, no. There is nowhere for you to find comfort here. We cannot leave you in this state forever. Would you at least entertain the possibility of a malady? Allow me to take you to a doctor in the morning when your shift is but finished. Perhaps, sir. Return at nine, and I shall at least accompany you into town. Splendid. I shall make my way back now. Uh, do not concern yourself with lighting the way again. Uh, see yourself to fire and a cup of tea, yes? Good night. Good night, sir.
<sighs> yes. A cup of tea will do for now. The doctor may. Oh no. Hello, hello there. Look out, look out. Hello, below there, look out. Is it? Where is the danger? What's going to happen? Face man, and tell me. Tell me. Let me stop it. by the light. Wait. He is most certainly a man of flesh and bone, and he is not alone. What on earth is going on down there? I say, hello? What's happened? Uh, what, what are you men gathered around? What, what's the matter? Signalman killed this morning, sir. Not the man belonging to that box. Yes, sir. Not the man I know. Oh, you'll recognise him if you knew him, for his face is quite composed. How did this happen? He was cut down by the engine, sir. No man in England knew his work better, but somehow he was not clear without a rail. It was just as day was breaking, he had his lamp in hand and his back to the tunnel facing the danger light, and the engine struck him down. This man was driving, he was just telling us how it happened. Tell the gentleman, Tom. Coming round the curve in the tunnel, sir, I saw him at the end. There was no time to check speed, and I, I knew him to be very careful. He, he didn't seem to take heed of the whistle, so I, I shut it off and called to him as loud as I could. Uh, what did you say? It was dreadful, sir. I never stopped calling to him, even as we were upon him. I put this arm across my eyes as not to see, and I, I waved to him with the other, but it was no use. I shouted, Hello, below there, look out. Look out, for God's sake, clear the way.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And that was The Signalman by Charles Dickens. I'm Mark Nixon, and as always, I'm joined by David Alt. Hello, David. Hello, Mark. Wow. The Signalman by Charles Dickens. Little known author. Um, we've done him a favor, really, getting him on here. <laughs> Yeah, it probably hasn't had much exposure, especially around Christmas. <laughs> so what made you choose The Signalman as one of the uh, stories to go on this podcast? Yeah, because there have been about 10 <laughs> audio adaptations of The Signalman, <laughs> which I chose deliberately not to listen to when writing the script as well. <laughs> Quite simply, the, uh, the Signalman is tied first place as my favourite ghost story of all time. It represents absolutely everything i love about the genre it is dripping with atmosphere i mean when you read the story you don't even see the ghost you just hear it being talked about mm. and you see the impact of it but you you never even see it and it was actually one of the first adult ghost stories i ever read when i was uh, a child i went to the local library and i would read all of these books on strange uh, occurrences and it would have uh, bally rectory in it the bermuda triangle bigfoot all this stuff yep all of the standards all the classics yes yep i'm still absolutely gutted that the jersey devil does not exist <laughs> but yes and then i i read all of these cover to cover uh, and then i was naturally an expert by age 8 or 9 i think mm -hmm. uh, and then i just started picking up ghost stories for kids and then eventually there was like some of the adult section and i just came across the signalman and it really just ignited something in me and it's i i read it a, a couple times a year and then of course which i believe you're familiar with david there was a terrific adaptation done by the bbc in the 70s mm, for their ghost yes. story for christmas yes with uh oh what was his name the guy who played marcus in indiana jones um i have never seen Indiana Jones. You've never seen an Indiana Jones film? No. I've seen, like, you know, I, I, it's like The Exorcist. You don't need to have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the bit where his face melts, and I, I've seen the, the screaming lady who I think was sleeping with Steven Spielberg. Mm hmm. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, so it, it, it had him in, and, and, and whilst I have seen the start of The Signalman, I haven't actually seen it all the way through, which you might find a little bit bizarre. But I do have the DVD box set of Ghost Stories for Christmas from the BBC, and it's one of those things that I keep on meaning to watch, as, you know, as we always do. It's like that old to-read list. That's true. I'm just wondering what happened. I mean, it's not a long... It's like, what, half an hour? What happened in that Something time like that. for you to to uh, fall asleep or switch off halfway through? Uh, 
you know that there are times when you want to read a book or watch a film or do something, and there are times when you're just not in the mood. And I think I must have tried switching it on when I wasn't in the mood. Fair enough. But now I will be able to go back with a renewed sense of appreciation for the story. Nah, you'll just be smug. Like, well, I wouldn't have played him like that. (laughs) (laughs) In the BBC adaptation, they choose to show the ghost, which is is an absolutely tremendous moment. In fact, they they choose the image of the ghost to go on the front cover of the DVD set as well. Mm. So I thought, you know, if 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 it's good enough for the BBC, and uh, and and of course the the great Lawrence Gordon Clark as well who I once had the pleasure of being in the same room of, and I'm being too shy to speak to him, uh, then it is it is good enough for me. Yes. Yeah. But I, I did, again, I did choose not to seek out any existing audio adaptations of it. But ours is a very faithful uh, adaptation of The Signalman. So I, I, if the others have chosen that route as well, then I'm... I'm what am I saying? It all sounds the same. No, David, ours is better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. Because, of course, the others didn't have David Alt. Oh, oh. So that's that. That's quite an interesting choice you made there to to have the ghost in rather than just talked about. What what else went into your process for adapting this? Well, in the story, a lot of it is explained passively through the narrator. In particular, the instance where the two of them are discussing, and the signalman suddenly stops to run to the door, look outside, where he sees the ghost, but doesn't say that he sees it. Uh, that is that in, mm. in the original story is simply mentioned. Um, I chose to put that in. Just, I thought it was a, a really great moment as well. And in the BBC adaptation by Lawrence Gordon Clark, when the signalman is talking about the past instances that have happened, the the accident where the bodies were brought through and when the the, the lady suddenly dies, they choose to show that in theirs as well. Mm. And it's actually the, the second instance is really bizarrely. He says, slagging off Charles Dickens, uh, it's very. <laughs> It's very bizarrely written. It's like there's a confusion of faces at the window. I saw something white and then a lady died and she was brought in. I did struggle to interpret that and I just chose to be quite literal with it. Whilst in, in the, uh, the BBC adaptation, there is a lady uh, hanging out of the window, dreaming and waving a handkerchief, I believe. And I, uh, I think she falls out and that's how she dies. No, not quite a la the railway children then. No, not quite. (laughs) But of course, this has all come from Charles Dickens' experience with trains. Of course, they were a very common and, dare I say, exciting way to travel in these times. And Charles Dickens, (laughs) as you and I both know, David, loved the ladies. Indeed, yes. And he was having one of his affairs. (laughs) He was on a train with her and the train crashed inside of a tunnel. And I'm sure people will tell me if I'm wrong. But I believe some of the lower carriages were enveloped in flames. And he described experiencing the smell of cooking flesh. And he actually helped to, to get people out of the carriages and evacuate them out of the tunnel. Because the tunnel, of course, was effectively becoming an oven. Mm. And this, I, I was at the Charles Dickens Museum in London when I actually read this bit. But I do believe that's how his affair came to light. Because the press were like, oh my god, Charles Dickens is a hero. Who's this lady? Oh... That's not your wife. Oh, mm, yes. I do believe that's how at least one of Charlie Boy's affairs did come out. Mm. I do believe he got some uh, some PTSD from that to some extent as well. And then, of course, we got the signalman. 
But then it is well known that a lot of Dickens' opinions and experiences, like most writers, does reflect in his writings. Uh, there is yes. a uncomfortable amount of anti-Semitic portrayals, Fagin being probably the best example of it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he was annoyed by Cockney orphans as well. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's it's funny with Charles Dickens because one of the companies I do work for is called GCSE Pod. It produces little podcastable or a bite-sized GCSE revision guide for all subjects, which you can subscribe to through your school or individually, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not doing any advertising for them. I'm just setting the scene, <laughs> and uh, I do the English literature uh, podcasts. Uh, or pods and so we've done a couple of charles dickens works and of course charles dickens for his big novels was doing it as a as a weekly or daily mm. um novelization serialization across uh, in, in the papers across a long time and of course he had to keep his readers hooked uh, but he also had to be able to spin out a tale over a long period of time, mm -hmm. over the length of a novel. And some of the... So sometimes we've been reading the, the plot summaries of these novels, and, and you just end up going, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and this person has suddenly found treasure or has had a great uncle suddenly decide to arrive in this um, strange marshy pit. Yes, that's great. Um, <laughs> it works as a cliffhanger for a serialization, but not for a novel. And the names, the names, Mchokumchild, Mr. Mchokumchild, where does that come from? <laughs> And, 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 oh, what was it? There was the clown and, and his dog. I can't remember the names now, but some of the names that he comes up with are utterly bizarre. <laughs> they seem a bit literal. The clown, I, I imagine, is probably called Mr. Entertains Children. <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh, but he had the dancing dog or the singing dog or something, and it was, it, as I say, we, we, it's one of, he is one of those authors where we, because We've seen a lot of, of books and, and things come through and plays and, and we read them and, and we talk about the novelization and, and uh, the characters and, and so on and so forth. Everything you'd need for a good GCSE English essay. Mm -hmm. Dickens is the one author where we just don't know what on earth is going on with the plot. <laughs> I think because of this serialization issue and some of the... Yeah, what he needs to keep his readers going. So seeing a nice short story by Charles Dickens, which, to be fair, only needs two or three characters, that's great. Mm. And he does his twist. Uh, you know, but speaking of these twists, you know, the, the, the one in this story is fantastic. Mm. It was warning him of his own death. And I, I wonder if it was, uh, you know, benevolent... Was it warning? Did he get it wrong? Was it an admin error of the spirit world? <laughs> or is it a malevolent ghost where it is reveling in warning him of his own death and being the cause of it? I choose to believe that it is a, a malevolent spirit. I, I, I prefer that anyway. Mm -hmm. It's not a future echo then. These, mm, yeah. these events go ripple forward and backward in time. Yeah, I mean, that is an option as well, but I... I, I see I see intelligence behind it. 
Uh, that's just okay. But this is you've got to remember. I've been reading this story since I was a kid, and yes. you know, this is probably what I've come to. And I've always had that. Oh, David, don't, you've you've just ruined it for me. I've, I've, I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess you know, I once saw it as a play, and the spirit looked quite sinister as well, and that just reaffirmed what mm. I was thinking as well. I, I just I just figured with your love of Doctor Who and time travel that a future echo. I loved this story before I loved Doctor Who, David. Ah, but now with your with your fresh perspective <laughs> as a Doctor Who lover. That's true. It is it is possible. And I, I, I am going to very quickly sidestep the downfall of my beliefs to mention <laughs> the marvellous episode The Unquiet Dead where meets Charles mm. Dickens and he's mm-hmm. and it's Christopher Exo and he's gushing about what he loves about uh, Dickens. And he goes, I'll, I'm not going to do the voice. He goes, I love that one with the ghost. And Dickens goes, what a Christmas carol. No, the signalman. It was terrifying. <laughs> but that episode, of course, was written by Mark Atis, who I, I happen to know was a very big fan of this story and the adaptation. So mm. it is only natural. Um, speaking of mm. which, I will defend Mr. Dickens, uh, sir. Mm-hmm. And I will point out, I do think A Christmas Carol is a wonderfully paced novel, <laughs> which I believe wasn't serialized. Um, which obviously explains that as well. Well, that's probably why then. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think, you know, Marley's introduction in the book is extremely effective. And he, when he's just like, he's, he's, he's dragging his chains that he's formed in life and the, and the bonds that he's made towards Ebenezer and he's, his jaw keeps coming apart and he ha- that's why he's got it tied. It is, it's just absolutely yeah. brilliant. Although sometimes I still expect it to be two Muppets. <laughs> I've never seen a Muppets Christmas Carol. What the? I've never seen Indiana Jones. If you've never seen Muppets Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> we need to send some homework, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, it's, it's actually a surprisingly faithful adaptation. I <laughs> would hasten to add. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I once went to a screening of it where there was a, a lecturer who was there talking about out of all the adaptations, it is possibly the most faithful. And in, in fact, there's a a scene, I'm going to have to tell you this, David, because you've never bloody seen it, but there's a scene where, <laughs> where Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge is watching these thieves who have stolen his bedding and his bed curtains, and they're, mm. they're discussing what they're going to do with it, and they're, and they're laughing about how they've never felt warmth and blah, blah, blah. But the character in the book is described as having quite long spidery arms as he pours over the, over the items. And of course, in The Muppets... It's a spider. It's a literal spider. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good, David. What, what adaptations of A Christmas Carol have you seen? Doctor Who? That, that was no... I know I've seen... I've, I've seen a couple of them, because I, I... But it's one of those things where you've seen it once, you've, and, and it's such a well-known mm. story that you can't really get... A new take on it. Yeah, you can, David. Muppets. Put singing watermelons in it. I never I never liked the Muppets. Oh my god. I wish I'd known this before we started this enterprise together. <laughs> <laughs> yep, afraid so. Never liked the Muppets. Oh wow. Okay. Well, um well, I've learned something, David. You've learned something about me. Yep. It's um it's um there will not be I, a season I, two. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. So okay. yes. Anyway, back to um... <laughs> back to the 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 signalman. Mm. Well, yes, there is certainly 
various stories out, and, and it's a it's a well-known trope, a well-known trait, that you have something from the future echoing back to the past, i.e. you you sort of you it's the foreshadowing. Uh, and this can take many different forms, whether it be um, Anakin seeing or having the the Darth Vader shadow in whatever that film was, uh, the film that we don't talk about. Well, to be perfectly honest, I don't care for the series anyway, mm. um, which was probably another big bomb for, bombshell for some people. <laughs> Hate Star Wars. Um, Hate it, uh, wow. Or even in... In some of the newer things like uh, The Haunting of Hill House, which uh, at the time of recording has only been out for a couple of months, so we can't really spoiler it. I wanted to spoil it, but David said no. So mm-hmm. I'm afraid so. <laughs> I'm afraid no, you are not allowed to spoil it. As we are inclined to uh, go off on a tangent, David, I do think... As as horror connoisseurs, I do think we need to formally endorse The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. It is... Absolutely, yes. Watch The Haunting of Hill House. It is excellent. Yes, it is. And, it, and it's so much more. I mean, I'm, I'm part of a few like little literary horror groups on Facebook. And there was a discussion about this recently where a great deal of the group disliked it. Really? They did. Well, I think they expected to go in looking, you know, looking for either A a very straight adaptation of Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Um, And we've already had a good adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. We've also had a bad one. Mm -hmm. So, love Catherine Zeta-Jones, mate. No, I don't. (laughs) But it's, I think, I'm not precious about adaptations. I I read Spider-Man from an extremely young age, and I grew up watching all these films and the X-Men having absolutely nothing to do with the original story. So I, I very quickly dropped any pretense that an adaptation has to be very faithful to it. And mm. it does baffle me when people get angry that adaptations are not beat for beat from the page. Mm. And it is it is very rarely done well. Um, Netflix, again, Netflix, a series of unfortunate events, is an extremely faithful adaptation of Lemony Snicket's book series. And it's fantastic. But that's two rare things. And it is both that faithful and it is also good. Mm. Because I think that one, of, one of the issues about doing adaptations is that... You will have some things that are written for a particular medium. Yes. And, for example, an audio drama can easily become a can easily become a film, but a film can't necessarily become an audio drama. Yes. Because there's the element of, of sight that suddenly disappears and you, you have to try and get over various things that you would normally let the viewer see Mm -hmm. like oh look there is a woman on the ceiling behind you leering down scarily you can't do that in audio you can do that on film easily but you can't do it easily on on audio i mean that that would still be pretty shit dialogue though david wouldn't it exactly it would really (laughs) (laughs) but there are some things that were written for a a time and a particular audience at that time, mm-hmm. and B, a medium. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm sure if Charles Dickens had set out to write whatever serialization as one full-length novel, rather than having to leave cliffhangers at the end of every chapter, <laughs> then it would have been a much different book. Mm-hmm. But there is always the context of how 
and when and why things are written. So an adaptation can't really hope to be as faithful to its original medium without recreating all of the other things Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do A Christmas Carol, yes, you could set it with um, in Victoriana with and, and, and do it all like that. But then you've got to think, well, how long do we want it? What's the audience? And why are we doing this? And who's watching? All, all of these questions then come into play to then change the script. Do we, do we keep it word for word, the dialogue the same as Charles Dickens wrote it? Will it make sense to a modern audience? Mm-hmm. Will it be relevant to a modern audience? Are there fat cats that are draining their workers dry and just getting rich off the back of it? Well, I suppose that might be mm. one thing that could that could translate over. But you know, yeah. the, it's it's that idea of context and making and and putting it for an audience, not necessarily pandering to the audience as well. Mm-hmm. It's not um, making difficult source material. Uh, relevant just by dumbing it down, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, because I think audiences are, for the most part, a lot more intelligent than the people in charge of making the decisions at film studios would mm-hmm. give them credit for. Mm-hmm. I do think this is where Netflix gets it right. They they hire people uh, with a particular vision and they trust them to do it. And you know, mm. often their shows look quite different. I mean, the Marvel shows have all blended in together, and those and those are their problems. But very, very much agree with what you're saying. And 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 also, when I see an adaptation, I want to see something new brought to it as well. Mm. Uh, and mm. going and going back to Hill House, I mean, it is as much as a story about a family, and it is an a story about mental health and post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress. And I won't go on anymore. But it's it's more mm. about that than it is also about literal ghosts and i think some people have been prevented from enjoying that because they were too busy looking for the straight adaptation Mm -hmm. and yes there were characters who were named after characters in the book and and things like that and then that's a little wink to those oh smug bastards watching it (laughs) i think we need to be challenged by adaptations definitely and and certainly i just i really think you should once you finish listening to Shadows at the Door, the podcast, you should definitely uh, watch a haunt, uh, The Haunting of Hill House. And you know what? While you're at it, watch a series of unfortunate events as well, because that's just terrific. <laughs> really is good. And then join us next week for David and I's Doctor Who podcast that we're apparently <laughs> being pulled toward like a black hole. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, I'm really glad that everybody has. I mean, I I wonder how many people who heard this today was that their first experience of the Signalman, and that's quite exciting. Mm. You know, have have they never read or or seen it before? And if and if it was, I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, it is one of the best ghost stories of all time, if not the best. It depends what day it is. I'll I'll call it the best. <laughs> or not. The other, of course, being Old Whistle. I'll come to you, my lad, by M.R. James. And if it wasn't the first time watching it, I do hope that we brought something a little bit new to it. Certainly Nico's music as well. I absolutely adore working with Nico because he just brings something really tremendous to each story as well. And and David, as again, 
And I'm not just complimenting David because I have to, because I'm British and I complimented somebody else, although that is certainly <laughs> is true. But again, just, I, you I'm know. just, I'm sitting here fuming. That's, I, I just, just <laughs> warning you. <laughs> I've got him on the webcam and I can see steam coming <laughs> off him. But, you know, I edit these when I edit them together as well. And I just, I can't believe it's the same guy doing all of them as well. So, um, yeah, I, I really hope you enjoyed this one. It was it was such a pleasure to adapt this one. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us. So I, I think that's it for today, David, isn't it? I think it is. Yes. Thank you, Mark, for the adaptation. Thank you. And join us next week for more Pleasing Terrors. Join us then. Good night. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by Charles Dickens, adapted by Mark Nixon. Performances by David Alt. Music by Nico Vertesi. Editing by Mark Nixon. Copyright held by Shadows at the Door Publishing. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you very soon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.